Welcome to the Pool House Podcast. Pool House. We're back. Hello, everyone. How you doing? Hello. Welcome to the Pool House Podcast. This week is a big week. It's a big, big week. We did our first interview and it was very enjoyable. How do you find it, Andy? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, really, really interesting guy we spoke to. Yeah, very interesting guy. Spoke very well. And it also felt like the uh, the podcast had gone up a level. So it was uh, good feels all round, I think. Indeed. With these interviews, we hope to highlight different paths or different avenues that some of you might not have thought of to take in your music career. Maybe you'll learn something along the way as well. We definitely got a lot out of the interview. It just felt really good, didn't it, Andy? It did. It did, yeah. So as you said, yeah, hopefully there is a few bits and pieces of value in there for for people that listen. I guess we are sort of the uh, inquisitive kids in these things because well, we're as interested as as anyone else in in, the, in that world. It's not something that we're in ourselves, so it was um it was it was good. Right. The actual important question is: Did you fall into the trap during the Christmas gooch? Which which trap? I mean, there was many <laughs> set. I feel. <laughs> How was your productivity? Um. Below par, I would say. So um, you, you fell into the trap. Yeah, I think I did. I, I I finished two tracks, but that is like that was probably bare minimum. Like it sounds pretty so. productive, but did you do much on them? Uh, yeah, one of them was a total remix, as in a remix, not a remix, but I mixed it again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and now the other one was. Just a few finishing touches. So yeah, really productive, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd say that is pretty productive. <laughs> How about you, come on then? I mean, I fell into the trap, but I did still move things on. I've pretty much finished my next track, which you've helped me with. So that's good, but uh, it's just hard not to slow the pace down, eat a lot of food, drink a lot. All those yeah. Yeah, traps. Yeah. But we're through it. But we're through it. And it feels really good to be doing the podcast again because it, it's kind of become like this weekly flagpole on the ground that keeps me going now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I love it. It's weird because we, we talk anyway, but now we talk and we record it. <laughs> so it's kind of, no, it's good. I like it. The guy we spoke to was Fern Asbury, who is a session guitarist and artist from Brighton. He's played on songs by the likes of Louis Capaldi, One Direction, Anne-Marie, Tom Grennan, Paloma Faith, and the list goes on. We talked in depth about session guitar work and how he ended up playing on some huge pop hits. So let's get into it. And this is our chat from the other day. Hope you have a good weekend. Stay well. Bye. I don't know if you can hear, but my window cleaner has just started washing my windows. Would you believe it? <laughs> There's always something with you. Can you hear it? Yeah. He's just, just doing the a window. Nice squeak. Just did a window just there, so it'll oh, move on in a minute. Let's give it a second then. Are they in the, the, the squeegee stage? That sounds like a squeaky kind of noise to it's, me. Um, so the pole has got the water going through it. and it's, Oh, yeah. He's just oh, doing that. that bit, that bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the squeegee stage yet. No, it's nowhere near it. I don't think he does. I don't actually think he does that. Surely. No squeegee. 
I mean, is that half a job? I mean, should I go yeah, out? And... Yeah, I reckon you want to have a word, mate. I'm not sure. I, I, I guess they know what they're doing. I mean, Squeegee's probably an <laughs> yeah, amateur what? game, isn't it? Squeegee's probably 1980s. Yeah, that might be from the 90s or something, yeah. <laughs> if you went out there and said Squeegee to him, he'd probably try and knock you out. Tell us a bit about your younger days. Like, were you in bands straight away? You sh- you Did sure you always want to be in that? bands? Yeah, yeah, just quickly. Okay. Um, yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been making music really since... Um, you know, for for a long time, I think recording music probably since I was about fourteen when I got my hands on um on my dad's friend's four track, which he kindly lent to us. So, and e- even before that, actually, I used to muck around uh, with my brother, who's a bit older than me, and we used to do a really sort of primitive version of multi-tracking of record- <laughs> recording ourselves like mucking about on guitars before we could even play guitar, really, um, on a ghetto blaster like a tape thing. <laughs> And then we'd get another ghetto blaster. So we'd play the original recording of us, of all the tape hiss and everything. And then the second ghetto blaster would record us like sort of overdubbing over the top. So it is like a primitive version of like multi-tracking uh, when I was about nine or ten years old. That's smart. <laughs> That's, That's pretty mate, good. You should, you should try that now. That sounds really creative, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and every every time you effectively... Well, I suppose you'd call it bouncing down, you know, in, yeah. in in production terms. But every time you sort of, you know, recorded over your original recording, you'd get this like incremental tape hiss. So by the the sort of third or fourth time, all you'd hear was like, <laughs> which, <laughs> which gave it a nice charm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll call that living in the analog world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that that's it really. And then and then yeah, been in bands probably since I was about fourteen and fifteen. Um, you know, playing all sorts of stuff, mainly mainly guitar, and then as I got a little bit older, started to attempt to sing as well. So you weren't someone that saw yourself as a singer straight away. No, no, okay. definitely not. I, st- I, I still don't. Right? Okay. No, <laughs> I, no. You know, um, not really. I mean, I sing, but you know, I, I, I sort of don't see myself as one. If that makes any kind of sense. So when you were in these bands and stuff, was it just? something to pass the time or did you have the big dream or like what was it for you i think probably a, a mixture of all of that i mean i think possibly you can both relate that, that as soon as you start making music and get the bug for it it becomes all encompassing and it becomes so integral to who you are that you you can't really think about yourself in any other terms than being involved with music so that's probably always been there and then of course in you know in in, in younger days and you, you know late teens early 20s you have these sort of delusions of grandeur that oh maybe i can make a you know career out of this and maybe i can <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah we've, all, we've all been there <laughs> yeah and uh you know as time goes on you sort of well unless you're one of those very very lucky people who manages to carve out and sustain a career from from that sort of age uh, or, or any age for that matter um you you swiftly realize that it's bloody difficult um mm. and uh and then i think the other side of it the the sort of the big dream of you know being a rock star subsides and then you start to feel well doesn't really matter all that matters is i'm enjoying making this music and you know if it sounds a corny cliche but i think it's true to a degree and if you didn't enjoy it then why would you bother you know um, yeah, yeah. Totally. so yeah that's always been king i think is just enjoying making music you know so from that 
point where you're <laughs> you're realizing the dream is fading <laughs> yes. what changes how do you get to where you are now where you're doing session work is is that something you knew was an avenue or is it something that just came up it's something that just came up i mean i'd, I'd always wanted to be involved in music in any way possible but that particular thing just happened because of a a connection it was someone that i i knew and grew up with at school um you know wasn't in my year group at school so didn't know particularly well but was was in my my local neighborhood and, and and knew his family and um you know used to play football in the playground that kind of stuff and uh yeah saw that my friend fro uh barnes who's part of the of tms productions i think at some stage after they stopped producing and DJing Breakbeat, which was their into music. They moved into pop and cut Professor Green's first album and co-wrote that with him, produced it. And I saw they were doing that and thought, bloody hell, that's that's pretty mega. I like to be involved in that level of pop and got chatting with him and said, look, you know, I still play guitar. See, I mean, Fro knew I played guitar from way back when, since I was like, you know, 13, 14, he used to play mm-hmm. drums. Um, I said, if you ever need any guitars, then just give me a shout. He said, well, actually, we'd just say that. We got this thing that's come in and, you know, have a bash at it and see what you think. So did that. And then um, God knows how many years later on down the line, I've, I've sort of, I guess, wormed my way in <laughs> to, to, to being their guitar guy. So it's it's very much, to, to come back to what you're asking, I suppose I didn't really set out for that, but it sort of ended up happening. I, I count myself very lucky to um, to be in that position of, of being asked to to play guitars on these on these pop records, you know. So just as as an inquisitive question, really, yeah. on that that first one where they said, "Oh, actually, Van, yeah, we we do, we do need someone that plays guitar." Do you do you then? Do they send you the track? Do you go to the studio? Are you are you replicating a part they've asked you? Are you writing a part? Sort of? Well, it's it, it can be many things. So that very first instance um, was for a songwriter called Priscilla Renee. Uh, she's based over in the States and she um, she had this, uh, this track and probably just one of the TMS guys had drafted um, a track with her top line, so yeah, her vocal, um, and had played a kind of, you know, a very simplistic guitar part. And had come to me and said, is there any chance you can sort of embellish this? Can you try and, you know, as best as possible, interpret a kind of Jimi Hendrix little wing feel? Okay, there's no pressure then. You've got to play guitar like Hendrix. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to session guitar. (laughs) Um, Which, of course, no one can, you know, no one can or or could. But yeah, um, so it was a remote. I had had a home set up, you know, um, at the time, just a a PC running a version of Cubase and um, fudged my best attempt at, at putting something together and sent it over to them and they and they liked it. As it happens, the um, the record never got cut. They they were, I think, initially thinking of making it into a, an almost like a pop slash hip-hop thing. And in the end, it ended up just as the acapella and just my guitar, which was great because it was so exposed and you could hear it all. Um, I'm, That's cool. You know, it's it's sitting on my hard drive somewhere, but it, ne- it never got cut and it never saw the light of day. And since then, in terms of how I've approached the session work, it's been a mixture of that. The, the remote process, I'd say probably by far the lion's share of it is me sitting in my spare room with headphones on like I got now. Um, And occasionally I'll go, you know, I'll I'll go up and play in in their fancy studio 
Um, they had a really nice studio for a while in Richmond, actually, um, owned by Terry Britton, who's the guy who wrote uh, What's Love Got to Do With It by Tina Turner. So, you know, going in this Small place. Small song. And <laughs> little, little, little number you may have heard of. Uh, and, um, you know, it, for, for me, that was like, you know, I rarely get to go in recording studios anyway. I've, I've been in a handful in, in my life, but that was a special studio. And, uh, you know, there's all these bloody old discs and all this paraphernalia all over the place and made me feel very excited and um yeah so uh, you know that that's one of the rare occasions i've actually gone into a studio and and played a session but um, yeah and i guess um you know due to the world's climate that's probably not going to change you know remote recording has had an even bigger boom so yeah very much so which is a bit of a shame because like how you felt going into that yeah. environment the romantic in me would like to think that that plays in mm. a part into what goes into the song in the, in the end absolutely I, I think it yeah you're quite right um that feeling you get going into a studio and being in sort of in the office as it were does give you a, an extra motivation you kind of feel that you've got to like well you know I'm here now I better bloody do well and it puts it adds a level of pressure but as a musician probably a healthy level of pressure you need a yeah. little bit of nerves to bring out the best performance etc the the flip side of that is of course is when doing a, you know a remote session and it's in my time and it's just me engineering myself and and, and editing my own takes and stuff it takes the pressure off and then you end up yeah. with probably getting something that's a bit more <laughs> Okay, a bit less rough around the edges maybe, but a bit more like this is the way you hear it. And then you're yeah. through that filter, then you're chucking it off and they can unhear it, <laughs> uh, if you know what I mean. I guess when yeah. you're work- working in pop as well, it's often something that needs to be quite precise and yeah. less flair and just more yeah. exactly yeah. what they're looking for anyway, so... Well, that suits me down to the ground, to be honest with you, because I can't play the flare stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when you get asked for a part, how much room is there? Do they give you precise directions? It's it's a bit of a a movable feast, really. Sorry, and also, what do you prefer? Do you prefer having the the direct guidelines, or do you prefer having a bit of give? I think if I'm being totally honest, I probably prefer having a bit of creative give because, I, you know, the shackles are off and you get a chance to sort of express yourself. But you can get overexcited and, and find yourself spending too long sort of exploring an idea, which is kind of irrelevant in the context of how the producers want the song to to sound. So sometimes having those your slightly narrower margins to work in help you to to get to the point quicker um yeah and occasionally they'll send me a guitar part which one of the guys is like roughly played out or, or even the artist has roughly played you know just to get the, the vibe of the song and then say can you just basically play this and tidy it up and make it you know try and make it a bit tighter um all round and occasionally there'll be a need for some kind of hooky lead line, uh, like um, something that will recycle over a loop over something. And, and, and the guys will say, we know roughly what we're after. Here's a couple of reference points of songs that we'd like you to listen to to inspire what you're going to play. And then can you just hit as many ideas as you can over like a you know, four and eight bar loop and, and, and we'll sort of 
A, B, C, D, G them, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, <laughs> and until um, until they find the the thing that works with the song. Do they um do they just like specify tone and stuff like that? Yeah. Like, and what are you using? Are you real amps or are you Kempers? And One, like once that? in a so once in a blue moon, I'll like mic up an amp, but that will be mainly for like a weird trying to go for an outside the box textual thing, like getting a bit of feedback or something, which you wouldn't be able to get by just using, you know, going via like a DI in, into an interface or whatever. Um, mm. But so so most of the time, I'm using guitar rig, and I, I will at this end get an approximation of a sound that is close to the reference they'll give me so say for example oh we we, we like this loop you know like a uh, this here's a cold play thing that we'd like to get near can you at least try and do your best to get near that sound and then at their end they've got lots of tools at their disposal so they can reamp it and uh, right, yeah. and, and make it i mean th- th- whatever they use at their end is always going to sound better than what i've got at my end so i'm just getting a loose kind of thing okay right? so they're not yeah. they're not expecting the final tone to come from you they're, they're expecting a no. representation but they just want it to be played well basically yeah yeah exactly that so are you working with, do you have like saved templates that you speed up the process with or do you just, you have a go-to sound? Yeah, I um, I think it's horses for courses. I've got like, you know, there's a few presets I'll use. Um, it, it's rare that they'll want a really sort of like dirty, distorted tone, um, usually a semi kind of driven tone or just on the edge of clean and, and distorted is often the thing as, as far as electrics are concerned mm-hmm. and then we'll put on whatever effects on top of that to get near the the reference point but a lot of the stuff i play probably the lion's share in a weird way is is acoustic stuff you know and that's just you know very bone dry uh either single mic it or double mic it and uh comp what i've got send them down often try and play a tight as i can double they like to add like width to their recordings um and then if there's any, you know, minor quantizing they need to do to make that super tight, they'll do it their end. I don't get too, try not to get too bogged down with the, the sort of editing this end. If it's something that's yeah. like ridiculously tight, they'll do it better than me. They're good at that. They're really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you working with the same production team every yeah. time? So yep. I guess that speeds up the process. They know what you can offer and you yeah. know what they want after working with them so many times yeah yeah that's it i mean there's yeah we we've got a really good working relationship we kind of know how each other uh, works there's obviously just the one of me but there's three of them so although collectively they'll have a general ethos and make a decision on how things want to go individually they do come from three slightly different perspectives so if, if one of them for example is steering the project and the other two are just going to come in at a later point it will take on a slightly different flavor that will be individual to that person so um yeah you know i i kind of got to know the guys pretty well now so um and hopefully they know you know what i do and, and can't do as well it's yeah it's a lot of it is like knowing limitations i think yeah you know, it's like you've got to know what you can't do and you know leave that out <laughs> well i'm gonna i'm gonna relate it back to when i do production sometimes yeah you don't have the conversation where you've really refined what you're looking for yeah um sometimes you can then be like oh you've got this open book and get really carried away and you love it yeah but then it goes back to the artist and it's kind of wasted time well not completely wasted (laughs) time but yeah you've taken it 
too far away from what they're looking for. So it is important to have those restrictions. Yeah. You know, it can have a bit of give, but everyone needs to know Mm. what they're trying to get out of the, yeah, yeah, the session. I think something important to that extent as well is, you know, you have to learn to be a bit thick skinned, I think. You know, something that you hear as being the thing isn't necessarily the thing and and you might think it's you know the proverbial dogs but yeah but they might not and you've and 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 you know they'll just say i'm sorry i didn't use it and you you know you sweat and put all your efforts into something and be passionate about something at the end of the day it might not make the cut and if you can't take that and if you can't understand that for the greater good that isn't the thing then uh, it's it's not the right game for you you know you've got to accept that what you think is good it might well be good, but it might not be the thing, you know. Yeah. That's, um, so with with knowing that, yeah. you, you obviously know that you've done it hundreds of times now. Mm. Do you still feel like you put the same amount of passion and energy into it every time, knowing that? Or do you now go, well, this might not be <laughs> that good. How do you approach it? I, I think over time then you probably... Um, so just, just to go back to the first thing, is that every time I get a job in, you know, get a call or whatever, I still have that same kid-like enthusiasm. Mm. I can't believe nice. someone's asked me to play guitar. I can't believe it. Every time it's like... I, I just, you know, honestly, like kid in a sweet job, brilliant, amazing. And then I have to sort of like think, oh, God, how am I going to fit that in in my actual life? Oh, well, uh, the, the, the kids can just play by themselves <laughs> um so that's the first thing and then and then the second thing to that would be yeah over time i think you probably learn where you should be reining it in and you probably recognize signs of i'm probably indulging down a cul-de-sac here well you know they maybe the guys don't want a tapping solo over a folk song um i think you probably learned that pretty uh, pretty swiftly <laughs> <laughs> so do, you, yeah. do you find yourself playing you are playing within yourself you, the parts yeah. are not like you say you're not doing it's rare they want tapping solos or any solo <laughs> to that I mean yeah like, just you are. yeah absolutely and you know again coming back to my limitations I couldn't play a tapping solo <laughs> to save my life uh, I'm more of a kind of a straight up sort of nose flute you know kind of guy um, you play with Phil Van so, with Phil with, yeah and um you know that is king, really, isn't it? It's, it's you know, it's got to sound good and it's got to lean to the sensibilities of the song. I was speaking to someone the other day who's, you know, he's not a musician, and I was talking, I was waxing lyrical about that um, Beatles documentary, um, which have just recently finished. And I'm a, I'm a Beatles fan, and you know, I guess some people might not be, but we got into a conversation about drummers and and the inevitable, yeah, you know, oh, oh Ringo was crap. Conversation came. I was like. I'm, 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 I hate to break it to you, but yeah. he was an awesome drummer, and, it's like, and, and there's no amount of you know being evangelical that's going to convince someone any different, unless they're a, a, a musician or not. That you know, or just understand listening. Don't have to be a musician. You just have to understand that the part and and the vibe suits the song. Yeah. I don't know if there's a better example of any drummer of all time than Ringo Starr of doing exactly that. And, so um, I, I haven't you know. watched all of it. That that always comes up, right? But yeah. the fact yeah, yeah. is, he's the drummer on all those recordings. You know, you yeah. watch it and, okay, he's not doing like the most complicated stuff, but he's keeping time right. and playing what's right for the others to breathe 
and all that is just yeah he has a feel though about him doesn't he a, yeah, you, a swing to his playing that exactly yeah you can't, it's, you can't teach yeah. it can you really no. Um, and I was, that was, I was actually going to say with you, you saying, you know, you're playing within yourself, but you can't do tap mm. solos and stuff like that. But the actual point isn't that anyway, is to have an understanding of what's no. required for that track. Yeah. And that's more important than anything. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess they wouldn't keep asking you back if you were like... I completely agree. ...really bad, would they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I spoke to Ben a few months ago when a job came in and uh, and he, he said that. He said it's gone beyond the point of being polite because we know you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know... <laughs> Which is actually the kind of relationship you need in music. You need to have no egos yeah. amongst anyone. You need to be like... That's not working. That's mm. crap. Get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. And until you have that relationship, you're generally pussyfooting around and uh, not really getting exactly. to, the, to the meat of the song and what it actually requires to get it done. Just a quick break to let you know, if you're looking for some free stems, sample packs, production, production breakdowns, breakdowns, you can find some over at poolhouse.com. Now back to the episode. When you get given a part, what's the turnaround like? Do you get a week? Is it 12 hours? Is it, you know, what is it? <laughs> it completely depends. Um, the standard template is that a song will reach a certain point in production and all of a sudden there'll be this like emergency, right, we need a guitar on it. It needs to be done yesterday. <laughs> you know, that's happened uh, a few times. I'm probably being cruel to say that's all the time. Do you have to just drop everything in your life then? <laughs> well, I've got, well, <laughs> well I've, got a, I've got a choice, of course. I could say, no, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. I've got, you know, other stuff going on. But, you know, going back to that feeling like a, you know, real genuine kid-like excitement. Of course I want to do that. And um, I've been really lucky that I've got, you know, such a supportive partner that's been able to sort of pick up the slack if I've had you know looking after the kids and running the house and all the rest of it if I've said look I've got this job in last minute you know can I do it so I've been really lucky on that front and then occasionally there'll be a job that doesn't really have any immediate deadline and uh, it's just a case of you know get it done when you can Vern and um, yeah there's there's been a few jobs like that recently there's a couple of albums I've been chipping away at um, which are due for release past, I think, quarter three of this year. This year being 2022, for anyone listening to it in I 2050. I all the time, honestly. <laughs> I have to keep looking at the year. Yeah, exactly. And, though, you know, those have a lot less pressure on them to sort of do immediately, and it's just a case of, um, of finding the time. But the, the logistical divide of that is I need it's weird i need a, i need a quiet house to do acoustic guitars but it doesn't matter if there's all sorts of noise going on for electrics because i'm just plugging straight in and doing it on the headphones but yeah um having a screaming baby in the background isn't going to sit well on a on a pop cut unless they're i don't know unless they're going a bit you know wacky with it <laughs> <laughs> so i was going to ask we're sort of we're quite in now uh yeah. can we start dropping some names of things yeah, that you've we, done okay um, good good or bad you don't have to say which one was good and which one was bad but okay have you heard of timmy mallet yes uh, i have yeah uh, well i haven't worked for him yet oh. um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a real uh, shame because i was actually quite excited that you've done something totally <laughs> random for timmy mallet well i've been hounding him on twitter for some time now to try and get some work but he just um i think he's blocked me so um <laughs> <laughs> 
Ah. <laughs> <laughs> probably sent one still or two hustling. Pic- pictures. Still hustling. Um, so the main big name drop is probably Lewis Capaldi. And I played on Before You Go, which was his second sort of big single. Wow. A couple, a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm completely chuffed to have gotten onto that. And I've been off the back of that working a lot on the new Lewis Capaldi album which will be as I say that's one of the ones that's due out this year um I've, I've worked lots on it and done loads of songs but I you know it's doubtful all guitar parts all guitar parts yep um and um I don't know how many of those songs will make the cut in all honesty um yeah, yeah. you know I'd be very happy for one Uh, yeah so just because i'm interested how do you personally get cut like how does it work in terms of your guitar part do you get paid via your time or do you get paid if it gets cut is it and you know how does it work yeah well it's um so yeah i have a you know an agreement with tms that when the session comes in they're effectively paying me to do the session so that's the first thing and then in terms of any afters after that, you know, broadly speaking, royalties, um, it's subject to, well, the session musician doesn't get any writing credits. That's the first thing, you know, unless you've sat in on the session and have written the track, of course, which is what I really want to do, what I want to get to. Yeah. But um, so, you know, if the song gets cut and then becomes a single it's bound to get radio play so any kind of radio play is what will accrue royalties uh, for a session musician and you know i've played on some i played on a cut for one direction when they were a thing and it the song got yeah i've heard of, them. <laughs> heard of them they're another one you can pick off the floor <laughs> no i like and, it uh, I'm, I'm encouraging that in this podcast okay and you know the song didn't do any it, it got buried on the album uh it was off made in the am which is their last thing that they recorded before they disbanded and all did their separate things and uh yeah you know i, I think i probably earned about 3p off it purely because it just never saw the light of day on the radio yeah. so if it if it gets put on an album and, and doesn't get any kind of media broadcasting then um you know, you don't stand to make any dosh off it. So it's a, it's a tricky one with session work. You know, if you did it, I've got a day job as well. I should probably explain that. So it's not my sole income. A, you'd need to do lots and lots of sessions and get the session fees up front. And if you wanted to sustain a career where you could start thinking about making it your proper income, you know, getting royalties coming in, you'd need to be on a lot of singles. So when I, when I work, for example, it's rare that a song I work on will get cut. It's, it sound to my ears, they all sound absolutely professionally produced. These could all be on the radio, you know, mm-hmm. but they don't often. And within a smaller margin of those cut songs, which ones actually go on to be singles. So it's a very, 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 very small number. So you got to be, yeah, you just got to be pretty lucky, you know. Does that affect your motivation on doing it? Um, I don't, it doesn't really affect my you know it's a good second job as it were um Mm -hmm. and yeah it doesn't really affect my motivation or 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 opinion of it whatsoever at the moment i guess selfishly bigger picture firstly as i said i'm you know i'm being paid to make music that's i count my complete blessings for that i've been trying to get to that stage for you know as long as i've been able to pick up a guitar basically so yeah feel pretty lucky for that but also selfishly i think it's it's trying to 
you know, all roads lead to Rome kind of thing. As long as I keep on doing this over there and this over here, you know, my end game is I want songs that I've had a hand in writing, either on my own or with other people, to sort of see the light of day. That's That would probably... The thing that would make me happiest in music is for that to happen. Yeah. Okay. So um, just trying to keep my aura in as many, you know, I don't know, whatever the metaphor is, streams <laughs> <laughs> as possible. At this point, you're creating a nice CV that will hopefully yeah. get you in the rooms yeah. with these kinds of people because you would have earned it at some point, <laughs> you know. I hope so. I hope so. But, uh, you know, it's a funny one, that, because I, I might have misperceived uh, the whole golden ticket of being a professional songwriter. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that whole thing, if you look at social media and see songwriters currently saying it's a bit unjust, you know, I'm, 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 I'm signing away my publishing, I'm a professional songwriter and I can't afford to pay the rent. And there's me thinking a bit naively, I think, that if you're a songwriter, that that in itself is enough to sustain a career. Uh, you know, in the status quo, I think that's not necessarily the case now. It may have been the case of yesteryear. I think it'd be similar to your process, as in like, yeah. unless you get a single cut, yeah, then it's never going to be your job, really. I think that's it, yeah. You know, you, you, it's that iceberg effect, isn't it? You've got to be that tiny, tiny bit at the top is, is what you've got to, is what you want to see. And uh, it's really hard. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but, you know, it's it's difficult, isn't it? You know, sustaining any career in music. I think. It is hard. I think me and Andy have spoke about this before on the podcast, is yeah. the dream changes, you know. You, you yeah. have these big dreams when you're younger. You're like, oh, mm. maybe this band is the one or whatever. And, and mm. quickly that becomes... Actually, if I could just make a living and just get by off music, that's pretty great. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Even when it's hard, what we have to remember is every time you do something, yeah. you're putting more of a foundation down for years to come. But you have to play the long game. Yeah. The instant gratification or like mm. big hit of money happens mm. to like 0.5 percent mm. but those who can play the long game and actually build a brand for themselves mm. multiple streams of income whether it's session work teaching production those are the ones that are going to survive and and sadly it's hard to get your head around when i mm. think for us we all grew up in a time where music still had monetary value <laughs> Whereas that's, now that's, it yeah. is, it doesn't. Time to jump on the NFT game, is it? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think like, so, yeah. There's always going to be something else. Yeah, right. The people that win are the ones that are able to pivot and jump on those things very quickly. It's hard. I find it hard to be like, oh, something else already. I'm just getting my head around. What was, <laughs> TikTok. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you've got any kind of, and I'm learning this having kids, if you've got any kind of handle on what you think is current, it's already dated. Daddy-o. <laughs> <laughs> Your relationship with music, has it changed since you were younger? Or do you feel like you're tied to music? Is there, mm. you know, a bit of you that's like, life would be a bit easier if I wasn't so <laughs> tied to it? Uh, maybe maybe but um you know 
maybe I can't. I think it's just such a, such an integral part of who I am that I couldn't imagine any other way. And, and it's been like that, you know, since I was kind of a, a baby. It's been such an important part of like family life and the thing that binds everything together is is music for me. And you know, I don't think I re- resent it in any way. Good. That was a test. I resent being, I resent being a sports fan because <laughs> I've got I've got friends who aren't sports fans and and seem a lot happier and less stressed. <laughs> all I ever do, all I ever do, is just find myself being. You know, maybe I need to support different teams and different players. You know, yeah, then then I'll stop being such a, you know, so angry for the world. Have there, have there been moments where you felt like you wanted to stop music, or has it always just been? For no. you, it's just always something that's part of your life. Yeah, I've never, I've never wanted to stop it, and I think even if I wasn't sort of pursuing some kind of professional venture, the the most immediate thing is, is I'd always pick up a guitar, you know, and I, I just, I need to do that, and it's part of who I am. And if it's just for my own entertainment and just to, just to express myself, and no one else ever listened, you know, if I was on a desert island and there was a guitar there, I'd play it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um yeah it's something that you know i couldn't even conceive that uh, being without well it's it's the reason i ask is going back you're younger you start bands everyone around you wants to be in a band it's yeah. like you know some people just want to do it as a social thing others it's like their lifeblood but as you get older for me anyway there's less immediate people around who are still mm. pursuing a career in music so obviously at some point with these people they make the decision to just be like oh, i'm going to try something else now and and one of the main things of doing this podcast with interviews is we want to speak to people who have maybe pivoted yeah. into a different creative part of music because yeah when you start the only thing you see are artists and bands on the tv and yeah. school doesn't give you avenues for being a session musician yeah yeah you know it's better these days obviously there's there's more things Mm. out there but um kind of want to just expose you know there are different ways of being in music and not having to be an artist or yeah there really are um so many different avenues yeah and and perhaps that needs to be more sold i suppose as an idea there are so many different careers that you can opt for within music it's often though the romanticism of seeing those pop stars on tv that that makes you you know the consumer in all of us and and probably the ego trip in all of us yeah. at that age anyway it makes us think right that's what i want <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah totally <laughs> that or nothing <laughs> yeah that's it you know uh, i think um, you quickly realize that you know that is a one in a million but you know it's not to say you can't have a career in music and a career doing something else in the creative aspect which go hand in hand yeah you've managed to balance being an artist someone who sings the bands someone who does session guitar work and Mm. has a day job Mm. i think what i'm trying to say is you can have all of it yeah. if you want. You maybe look at it in another way and just being like, oh, you can actually do so many different things and yeah. fit it into your life. Yeah, you totally can do. I think um, I think if you 
you know, and particularly when you've, you've got a bit more youth on your side, which probably is quite patronising to say to some people who are listening to this who are older than us and thinking, oh, I can't, that's, that's, I can't <laughs> believe they've come out of this precocious dribble. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I think what, yeah, what was going, <laughs> the tangent I was going off on there is that if you were completely instrumental and single-minded in those, in those younger years that, um, you know, you've probably got a better chance of, of getting that very one in a million shot thing from happening. You know, I've heard mm-hmm. of people, you know, when I was giving it a better go, should I say, in my early 20s, I heard of people that would quit their jobs, they'd, you know, do the, the classic art thing, they'd be on the dole, and all they would do, you know, they'd eat absolute garbage, tins of beans to survive, kind of thing. All they would do is make music round the clock and go to people's offices and hammer their product and do their thing. You know, so they're, you know, if, if you wanted to, um, to really give it its best shot and when a bit psychopathic with it you'd probably (laughs) (laughs) you'd probably do that um for me uh how far did those people get though um i don't know um the the, the example i'm giving actually is a friend um so i was in a band with a guy called doug who he was the drummer and he went on to a couple of different bands and then joined this band and i think they were based in uh from up north somewhere and they'd come down to london and had done exactly that they'd gone on the dole and they you know they were just trying they were just really pushing it and going for it I couldn't. I couldn't. And tell they're called Coldplay. Have... <laughs> <laughs> Let this be a lesson to you all. <laughs> so I just want to quickly go on to you as an artist. How many different things do you have going on at the minute? <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I'm doing a few things really. I think the main thrust of it at the moment, from a songwriting perspective, is I'm in a, a duo with a guy called Sam Bourne, who I've played music with for a long time and he's actually based over in the Netherlands um oh, wow. and, and has so he grew up there so he's he's bilingual and um he studied over here um at BIM uh, Brighton Institute of Modern Music yeah. uh, a long time ago now which is how I met him um and he joined a band I was in at the time playing bass yeah that's how that relationship started and I'm now sort of in a remote production duo really just chipping away and making songs with sam under the name of blueprint moon and um it's great um both of us like writing ideas um but sam's an incredible bass player he's he's a great guitarist as well and he's also got lots of um he's great at you know he's great at everything actually (laughs) uh you know singing and playing keys and and um so we'll just send each other um, short sketches and then the other one will kind of develop it a bit there end with you know no real direction or shackles just wherever you see it going and then um, we'll just play a game of I guess email table tennis with the project until eventually um, we've got a final thing and I'll um, kind of like what you did with the ghetto blaster the very, very much so but oh, with a little full bit circle love it but but we have to artificially add the hiss now um, yeah <laughs> plug in for that yeah the hiss is just our own struggling thoughts uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um yeah so that's it and i guess you know it's my sort of job within that relationship or one of them anyway is to collate the final project and for a better word produce it although it's a co-produced thing you know he's doing a lot of the legwork production was hit his end but i put it in the project and and you know arrange it i guess and so that's that and i was also lucky to be called in this is this you know going back to earlier when you said i don't view myself as a singer i, I got called in to do a singing job um 
which was really <laughs> flattering. <laughs> and, and, I mean, this guy um, can't play guitar and he can't sing, and he's a session guitarist and a session singer. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I just very good at smoke and mirrors. I think. Um, so yeah, there's a guy called Andy Morehouse who uh, it's a weird serendipitous meeting that occurred i think somewhere in tunbridge wells and he got speaking to someone in like a health club or something about music and he spoke to this woman said oh my son plays guitar and he's in this band and you should check them out they're called young sahara and that was a band that i was in at the time as the rhythm guitarist and vocalist and for whatever reason this guy liked the sound of my voice you know i'm not what i'd call a trained singer or a even a particularly skilled one <laughs> but i you know i do i'm a vocalist is probably a better term for the guff that comes out of you, my you've got face. a clear identity when you sing you know right and, and right. often actually that's what people want more than anything yeah so. yeah i think that's what it was with you know with him he, he likes the sort of the tone of it and and the, the identity of my voice and called me in for a project to record and it's a it's an exciting one um he's kind of come up with a bit of a concept about a sort of forgotten songwriter of the 60s that never came into his pomp or his career never came into fruition and the idea is that his works are kind of discovered in like a house clearance in a loft in like a dusty chest kind of thing all these manuscripts and someone decides to bring these forgotten works to life and he's tried to capture the sort of essence of the, the sounds of the 60s progressing from 1963 to 1970 so you can hear the sort of progressive genre changes wow. um, <laughs> and try to keep the production uh, techniques as close as possible to how things would have been done then although obviously you know everything's been recorded through a computer etc but um yeah he brought in some like really big name session musicians a guy called ralph salmons who's played drums and i'm uh paraphrasing andy here but you need to take off a week to read this guy's cv it's ridiculous he's worked with absolutely everyone like paul mccartney aretha franklin current waterboys drummer van morrison if wow. you had, I, I i implore you to check out ralph salmons website and go on his credits list it's mental and then the guy that plays bass is a guy called Dale Davis, who was Amy Winehouse's bassist and musical director. And so those two made up the rhythm section and then little old tape hiss guy <laughs> <laughs> doing, his, doing his impression of singing. What, you know, what a cool I, thing to be a part of. Yeah, honestly, I'm so so chuffed, and it's now finally out in the ether. It's you know the project's called the Friends of Norman Havelock. Go check it out if you can, and it's out there. And um, yeah, a great thing to be a part of. I'm not sure what he wants to do with the project from here on in. Whether he wants to try and make it a live thing, or you know, do a second album with it, or whatever. But um, whatever happens with it, it's great to have been involved in it, and um, it was really interesting wearing a different hat musically you know yeah um, not having to pick up the guitar not once um yeah. not once the guy who plays on it is a fantastic guy called john wheatcroft and he's an amazing session player he, he um he's got an instagram channel where he's breaking down lots of django reinhardt stuff so that gives you some idea of his proficiency level he's, he's a pretty serious player you know it was great and um 
I don't know. I'm just excited to see what happens with it. Now. It might, it might not make a big splash commercially, but who knows? You know, and it's yeah. great to have, great to have got the call up. Yeah. But yeah, last question: If you were to give your younger self any mm. bit of advice, mm. what would you say to that person? Give up music. <laughs> no. Uh, Support younger... a different team. <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, any advice I give to myself? Uh, I, I'd say, um, yeah, I'd just say, you know, just I'd just say, keep doing what you're doing. You know, keep doing what you're doing. You know, at, at every age I've been at, I've just loved making music. And uh, without sounding like a hippie, without music, I think my life would have been a lot worse so far. <laughs> so. Um, I just advise my younger self to keep playing guitar, keep writing songs, because I I know that 20, 30 years down the line, whatever, that it's still the one, not the only thing, but it's one thing that's consistently brought me joy, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to stop. It's it's just uh, it's a lovely thing to be involved with music, you know. Perfect. Nice. All right, Vern. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Pool House podcast. And... Uh, We'll get you back on another time, I'm sure, when you've... Uh... When that Lewis Capaldi album drops. <laughs> you better believe it. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. And I hope I hope you're all keeping well. And, um, yeah, I'm wishing you both success with Musical Ventures too. Thank you very Thanks, much. Mate. All right, talk to you soon, mate. Nice one, guys. Cheers. If you like what you've heard today, please hit the follow or subscribe button to be notified about future episodes. You can massively help us out by leaving a review. And sharing with your friends and family is also a beautiful way to help us grow. As always, we'd love to hear from you, so don't be a stranger. We want to build a community and we want you to be a part of it. Until the next one, stay good.